joining in with us today at New Life Church. I was just sharing with the congregation, you know, it's, it's the greatest time of the year. Uh, this past Saturday, yesterday, was the last Saturday of the month without football. So from now on, for the rest of 2021, we can celebrate our Saturdays with some college football and then on Sundays with professional football. It's a great day. It's a great time to be alive. It's the greatest season of the life. It's two seasons in my life. It's crawfish season and football season. That's the only two seasons that matter. Crawfish season and, and football season. That's the only two. No, it's go Tigers. None of this roll tide stuff. You can, you can exit the church if you're a roll tide fan right now. Just make it with the exit doors are over there. I'm just playing. But go Tigers. Uh, but we've been in our, we've been in the past four weeks, we've been in a series uh, building our lives on wisdom entitled Blueprints. And this is week four. Man, it's week four already. We're in our series Blueprints uh, talking about wisdom. And today we're talking about a subject that is very, very important to each and every person here. And this is a message that we're going to entitle, uh, Wisdom to Father. Wisdom to Father. And this is not just a message directly to fathers. This is a message to everyone. Because we are looking to Abba Father, God our Father, as our Heavenly Father. Even though we have a natural Father, we still need to know how do we relate to our Heavenly Father. And I believe that this message today is going to give us wisdom, not only to on, on the earth on how to father our children and how to raise our children in discipline and in wisdom, but also how do we realize that how God the Father, how he deals with us. And I'm excited about this message um, today. And also, if you want to take notes or follow along, you can go to our app. We have all the notes on our app as well, so you can follow along there. But I was just thinking about this. One of the most important jobs in the world is the job of a father. A father has the ability to set their children up with, for success or for failure. And I was reading some statistics, and uh, statistics state that 35% of children live in fatherless homes. 35% of children live in fatherless homes. Fathers need wisdom from God to raise godly children and learn how to father. In Proverbs, Solomon wrote Proverbs, and in Proverbs it says, my son is used over 20 times. Over 20 times in the book of Proverbs, it says, my son. And Proverbs was written, Solomon wrote Proverbs for the home context. He wrote Proverbs because he wanted fathers to go home and to recite these Proverbs to their son. He wanted them to, to have wisdom, to, fathers to have wisdom to impart down to their sons and teach them lessons. So he wrote the book of Proverbs because he said, I want this for fathers as an instruction guide, as a blueprint on how to father. Isn't that amazing? That's really what the inspiration for Proverbs is about. It's for fathers to instruct wisdom to their sons. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And today there are two legs of fathering that we will highlight today. It's two legs of, of, of fathering we will highlight today. The first leg that we're going to highlight, it comes from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Mothers, that don't forget about you either. Indeed, they are, graceful, they will, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. The second leg that we're going to focus on 
comes from Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Matthew 17, verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. As I mentioned, there are two legs of fathering that we're going to highlight today. And the first one is from Proverbs that verse 1, chapter 8 through 9, is building on the Father's wisdom. There's two legs of fathering today. The first is building on a Father's wisdom. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. I thank you right now that your, your counsel, your spirit, it rests and it hovers over this place. I thank you that you're opening up our hearts to receive today instructions on how to father and how to receive fathering from you. I thank you right now that, that these next few moments that we have together, that you would draw us closer to you and help us understand our relationship with you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first we're going to focus on is building on a father's wisdom, building on the father's wisdom. And it's three stages to receiving wisdom. It's three stages to receiving wisdom. And the first stage of to receive wisdom is instruction. We read that in Proverbs uh, chapter one. We just read the first stage of receiving wisdom is to receive instruction. Instruction is simply teaching of wisdom. This is in the home where you teach kids how to, how to do chores, how to, how to be respectful to adults, how to act in public, how to change the oil, how to cook a dinner, how to do this, how to mow the lawn. All, all these things are just this instructions on how to, to do everyday practical things in the home. That's instruction. We're given instruction. You can't move on to correction and discipline if you first had been given instructions. And one of the things we can't do is we can't get mad at children for doing things that we hadn't instructed them on how to do. I, re- there's, I, was, I was in uh, the store one day, and this lady was, I'm talking about going off on her little boy for doing something. And the whole time I'm thinking, well, did you tell him that it wasn't right to do that? Or are you just expecting him to know that because you, you know that? But a lot of times what we do is we expect children to know things that we know, but we never instructed them on how to do them. So we have to make sure that we're giving clear instructions and before we can move to correction or discipline. Instruction is the baseline to wisdom. We have to make sure that they have clear instructions and they know what to do and that we know what to do in order to build a life upon wisdom. We don't give, if when we don't give clear instructions, it's because sometimes we don't have clear instructions ourselves. Have you ever tried to get, instruct someone? They come to you, so what am I supposed to do? And you really don't know yourself? So you're like, man, uh, I don't really know. But I guess we can, we can try to figure it out together because, I, 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 I mean, i never really done this before. And, and we can not get clear instructions. Now everybody's confused. But think about this generation right now that there's no clear instructions given. So everybody's looking for instructions, but nobody knows who to run to to get instructions. So everybody's confused. They just looking at, well, I was just following them. I thought they knew what to do, so they looked like a good idea, so I'm going to do it too. Have you ever followed someone that you thought was doing a good idea, and then you realize, man, I'm about to get in trouble? Why? Because nobody had clear instructions. But when there are clear instructions, wisdom can be found in that. We have to make sure that we're given clear instructions. The first stage of wisdom is clear instruction. You know, God instructs us, and he instructs us through his word. The word of God is full of instructions from what God wants us to do. So if you ever lost about what am I supposed to do in life, what's my purpose in life, get in the word of God because it's full of his instructions. 
If you follow it, it will enrich your lives and it will give you wisdom. God instructs us to have a Sabbath. That's one of the most important instructions that God gives us. He says, hey, on the seventh day, take a Sabbath. What is that? He wants you to rest. But we have this thing in our mind where we just have to work, 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 and we can't take days off. No, God says my instructions are to honor the Sabbath because in the Sabbath you'll find rest and your longevity in life to work will be a lot longer if you honor the Sabbath. Clear instructions. And we have to make sure even simple instructions like that. God, am I following your instructions? His word is full of instructions. You know, also we have to give spiritual instructions as well. Get to, uh, to give clear instructions is important to understand your relationship with God and how you fellowship with him. This morning, what we're doing right now in church, you're hearing the word of God. But all this is, is just a supplement to what you teach and what you instruct in your home. All this is, is just a, a support and a supplement to what you practice and what you teach in your home. You just come into church pretty much to get encouraged, to be edified, to go back into your home to do the same, same exact thing. That's what we do. That's what the church is for. It's, it's here for instructions, but it's to instruct you to live a life outside of the church. Because church only happens for about an hour and 15 minutes here. Your life, you have the rest of the week to live the rest of your life. So we're just here to encourage you, to edify you, but we're just here to reinforce what you're already instructing in your home. And that's what we do. My daughter, she goes to a Christian school. I don't send her to the Christian school so they can teach her Christian things. I send her there because they're reinforcing what we're already teaching her at home. It's just a supplement to what's already going on in the home. So now when she goes to school and she hears about a relationship with God, it's not a surprise to her and she's not coming home. What does that mean? She already knows because we're instructing her at home. Same thing with church. When you go home and you have conversations with your family and your children and things of that nature, what are you doing is we're just supplementing what you've already been instructing at home. If instructions are not received and you've instructed and you've given them clearly and it's still not working, we're talking about wisdom. If you're given clear instructions and the person that you're giving the instruction to is not following them, then you move on to the next thing. This is correction. So you move from instruction to correction. And correction is just a warning after an innocent mistake. That's what correction is. Correction is not physical discipline. It's a warning. God would send prophets to correct his people. The Old Testament is full of stories of prophets warning people and bringing correction. Y'all need to get right because God is coming. Y'all need to shape it up because God is coming. If you've ever done something wrong and you feel a conviction in your heart like God saying no, that's him correcting you. If you ever feel a conviction about doing something wrong, that's God bringing correction to you. You know, God loves to bring correction to us. We just have to be open enough to, to receive it and obey it. I remember the first time, well, maybe not the first time. This is just the, t the time that stood out to me the most about receiving God's correction. I was in my car driving. And he gave a clear instruction to me. He said, Mario, if you go back to Baton Rouge and live your life the way you did, you're going to die. And it shook me. And I thought I was tripping because I'm like, man, I'm in a car by myself. Who's talking to me? And then he said it again. He said, Mario, if you go back to Baton Rouge and live your way you did, you're going to die soon. And it shook me to my core where I began to weep. But what was that? That was God's correction. He was correcting me. He said, son, you're going down the wrong path. If you continue down this path, you're going to die. And when I got back home, you know what? I changed my life. 
I changed the friends that I was hanging out with. Because the friends that I was hanging out with, I would have ended up dead. <laughs> but I changed the things that I did. I changed the places that I went to. And I went to the church and I got saved. You know, I didn't surrender to an altar call. I went to the church myself on like a Wednesday and said, I, oh, it was like a Wednesday afternoon. And I said, I need to speak to a pastor because I need to get saved. Because I heard the clear instructions for God. And for the first time, it resonated with me. And I said, you know what? I need to get right with God. So I couldn't ignore his correction anymore. I had to surrender to it. And when you surrender to God's correction, guess what? Then life becomes a lot easier. Because the mistakes that you would normally make, you wouldn't make them anymore because you're receiving God's correction. And God is always giving his correction out there. Again, correction is just simply this. It's just a warning from an innocent mistake. That's all it is. It's not a physical discipline. It's not anything more than that. It's just a warning for a simple mistake. That's God's correction. So we start with God's instructions. It's his word. We look to his word. His word is full of his instruction. We go from his instructions to God's correction, but this is the next step of receiving wisdom is discipline. Discipline. Discipline is a chastisement after an intentional disobedience. A chastisement after an intentional disobedience. We know that God loves us because he disciplined us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says that God disciplined those that he loves. So when he disciplines us, that means that he loves us. Because if he didn't, that would mean we'd be illegitimate children. Because no father would intentionally not discipline their children. So whenever there is a mistake going on, God says, you know what? Now I gave instructions, I gave correction, now I have to step in with discipline. And discipline is not this. Discipline is not rage. Discipline is strategic, intentional, and it's meant to edify. It's strategic, and it's meant to edify. You know, I have a little daughter, and whenever I discipline Camden, I have to sit her down, and then she's in here right now, so she's probably smiling. She's like, Daddy, don't embarrass me. But when I have to give her discipline, I sit her down, and I say, okay, so what happened? And she'll tell me what happened. And then I'll say, so what do we tell you about this? And then, because we've already given clear instructions, and she'll recite the instructions. I'll say, so what are the consequences, what happens when this happens? And she'll say, I get a pow-pow. And we say, okay, well, now you have to get a pow-pow because you broke the, the rules. And then I give her, uh, I, expl I clearly explain to her what is about to happen. She knows why she's getting a pow-pow, and she knows what not to do to not get another pow-pow. And then afterwards, we talk, we hug, and then we move on. But it's clear I'm not doing it in rage. If I'm upset, I wait a minute to calm down because I don't want to beat the child. And so I say, you know what? Let me just calm down and little take a walk before because I'm, I'm a little upset right now But because that's child abuse. When you do it out of rage and anger, that's not discipline. That's rage. But you do it in a calm manner where the child knows exactly. Because if you just start beating on children, they don't know why they're getting beat. It's like that's, that's harming them. It's like you have to clearly instruct, this is discipline. This is why you're getting disciplined. And God, you know what about God? I love this about God. When it comes to discipline, God is very slow to anger with us. He is very patient with us. Discipline for God is like, you know what? I give you as much grace as I can, but obviously you keep disobeying me. So now you're not getting the point. So now I'm going to have to come in. I'm going to have to really discipline you now. That's what God does. 
And, you know, the children of Israel, God gave them time after time after time. He was patient with them. For hundreds of years, he was patient with them and said, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give him grace. But eventually over hundreds of years, his grace ran out. And I want to read this to you in Amos chapter four, verse six. This is God. He is very slow to anger. And look at this. This is what God says. Verse six, he says, I brought hunger to every city and famine to every town, but you still would not return to me, says the Lord. I kept the rain from falling when your crops needed it the most. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. Rain fell on one field while another field withered. People staggered from town to town looking for water, but there was never enough. But still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I I struck your farms with vineyards in blight and mildew. Locusts devoured all the fig and olive trees, but you still would not return to me, says the Lord. I sent plagues on you like the plagues I sent Egypt long ago. I killed your young men in war and led all your horses away. The stench of death filled the air, but you still would not return to me, says the Lord. Can y'all see all these things that the Lord did that he's still trying to be patient with them? I destroyed some of your cities as I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those who survived were like charred sticks pulled from a fire, but you still would not return to me, says the Lord. Verse 12, therefore, after all that, now we come to this point. Therefore, I will bring upon you all the disasters I have announced. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. Look at all those warnings, all those things that God did that he was trying to get their attention, but they kept disobeying him to the point where he said, you, since you want to ignore my instructions, you keep disobeying me, now you're going to meet my judgment. Now you're going to receive my discipline. God was very patient with them over 100 years. Think about how patient God is with you. I think about how patient God is with me. And I have to say, you know what? God, I don't want to take advantage of your patience. I don't want to take advantage of your mercy. So I need to heed to your correction when you give it to me the first time. Because it's a lot easier just to go through it and just repent of it than walk through something that you didn't even intend for me to walk through because I want to continue to be disobedient. But God is slow to anger, but he does discipline us. And God, he just wants you in his word to follow his instructions. Because if you do that, you don't have to feel his discipline. That's the good thing about following God's instructions. If you follow God's instructions, you'll never get to the point where you have to feel his discipline because you're following his instructions. So why does he have to discipline you? Follow his instructions. We get in his word. And there's three stages of discipline. The first stage of discipline is rebuke. This is a serious verbal chastisement. You say, well, what does that mean? That means when you have to sit someone down and you say, hey, Johnny, man, I love you. But Johnny... The world does not revolve around you. I know you feel like everybody wants to bow down to you and serve you, but that's pride. You have pride in your heart that you need the Lord to deal with because the world does not revolve around you. The world is not here to serve you. You need to get the pride out of your heart. That's a verbal chastisement, a verbal word of correction where sometimes we have to receive that from God. You know, God can rebuke you through his word. You can read God's word and you can say, oh, that's messed up. He said, no, but I'm talking to you. And we can read that and we say, man, that's a verbal chastisement, a serious verbal chastisement. Also, the second stage of discipline is withholding. This is punishment. For a kid, it's time out. 
For an adult, it's two years in jail. That means you lose your rights. That, that, that's withholding a punishment. It's sad. My mom used to always tell me, she was like, well, if you don't listen to my instructions, then you can go out there in the world, and then you're going to have to surrender to the police because then you'll listen to them if you don't want to listen to me. She used to tell me that all the time, and I was like, why do you keep telling me that? But then I looked back, and I was like, well, she was right. Because at one point, if I keep going in discipline, I don't receive discipline, I don't take discipline, then I'm going to have to take a little time out and go sit down where I lose all my rights. And so many people go down that path where they have to go withhold and they lose all their rights to get it to the point where they say, you know what, I need to get my life right. But don't get to that point. The last stage of discipline is this. It's chastisement. That's physical discipline. That's what we mentioned before. It's physical discipline. That's the last stage of discipline is chastisement. You know, in Singapore, y'all ever heard of a Singapore cane? In Singapore, they have very, they, not, they don't play about discipline over in Singapore. So not only in Singapore do you go to jail, but when you go to jail, they cane you. And the cane, they take this cane stick and they beat you with the cane in jail. So, you know, we have, well, they don't do it anymore, but they used to have paddles. You used to get paddled in school. When Singapore, they, they cane you in school. So sometimes their, their corporal punishment for a crime is they, can, they publicly cane you. Now, we don't do that here in America, but can you imagine if you got, for a crime, you get beat? For a crime, instead of, instead of just getting a ticket or something, they say, okay, I want you to go ahead and, and take your shirt off. Now I'm going I'm to cane you. We don't do that here, but it's a chastisement. That's a physical punishment. Those are the three stages of discipline, rebuke, withholding, chastisement. And we have to do these things in order when we're talking about receiving wisdom. First is correct. I'm sorry, first is instruction. Then is correction. Then is discipline. So this is the first thing to, to build in wisdom on father is, is through discipline. I'm sorry, it's, uh, it's building on a father's wisdom is those things that, that we just mentioned. And then we're going to move on to the second point. Uh, today is building on a father's power. Building on the father's power. That verse that we read in Matthew, Matthew 7, verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice of, out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. The thing that we need to know about the, the impact of a father and his power is this, that a father has the ability to give identity. He says, this is my beloved son. He was speaking to Jesus where he says, this, I've identified Jesus as my, this is not only, this is my beloved son. He identified him. He gave him an identity. And he says, this is who I, this identity is, this is who I am. It's your purpose. Identity is all about ownership. You belong to me. God has called you his own. Did you know that God calls you his own? You're not yourself. God has said, you are my own. I call you my child. You are my beloved. Each and every one of us, you are God's beloved. And when you begin to think of you in that manner, sometimes you say, well, I don't deserve God's love. It don't matter if you think you deserve it or not. He loves you. You are his beloved. He loves you so very much that he wants you to identify as his own, that God the Father in heaven, the creator of the universe, calls you his own. You are his child, and he loves you. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. That God the Father, he loves you, and he wants to, you to identify as his child. That's what he does. You know, the first time I felt God's love for real, like I, 
I could only do anything but cry. Because it was a love that I felt that I needed my whole life. I just didn't know how to get it. I was searching for it in so many different things. You know, you can search for something that you know, man, I want something, but you don't know what it is. But it, what it really was that I wanted was God's love. I just wanted to be loved by God. And when I received God's love for the first time, I'm telling you, it did something to me. It changed my heart. It changed my perspective on life. It changed the way I viewed myself. That I said, man, out of all the things that I've done, God, you still love me? And it humbled me, and it just made me want to fall more in love with God and receive more of his love. And it totally changed my life. But what is that? I found identity in him. And when you truly find identity in Christ and you find out, man, God loves me, that he has a plan for me, that he has a purpose for me. And I know we hear those words all the time. You come to church. God has a plan. God has a purpose. The truth is he does. But when you really surrender to it and you receive it, I'm telling you, it will change your life. It will change your life. But it was something that I had to surrender to to find his identity. But God wants to give you all identity. He wants all of us to have an identity. So how do you get an identity from God? It's two ways you do it. You receive an identity from God. From The first thing is his word. His word. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt you into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, and, he gave, and it gave him great pleasure. You receive an identity from God through his word. Because when you begin to read his word, and you begin to see what his word says, then you can claim that as yourself and say, I received this, and I claim it for myself. Then you begin to find your identity that you say, you know what? I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am blessed in my going and my coming. God is my refuge. God is my protection. God is my provider. God is my healer. God is my deliverer. God is my joy. He's all these things. Why? Because I found it in his word and his word says so. So his word gives you identity. That's why it's so important to read your Bible because you need to know what the word says so you can grab hold to it and you say, I identify with that. So now I am these things. I am the righteousness of Christ. I am his beloved. I am the apple of his eye. I am all these things because that's what his word says. I find identity in his word. And I know sometimes you say, man, I don't like reading the Bible. It's boring. Well, you have to get over that because once you start receiving them promises and you start seeing the word work in your life, then you say, I got to get into the word a little bit more. I can't can't wait. I got to get in his word because this word is so good. You know, a lot of movies and soap operas and all that stuff, they they take stories from the Bible. They just flip it and just put it on the the big screen. The Bible is full of some crazy stuff, (laughs) y'all. It's very interesting if you read it. It's very interesting, but we find identity from his word. The second thing we find identity from is his spirit. His spirit, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It reads, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, uh, makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together we are Christ. We are heirs of God's glory. But if we only share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So what is that? We are heirs with Christ. We receive it by his spirit. So when I pray, I pray like this. I say, Abba, Father, God in heaven, I know you hear my prayers. I am your son. 
and I know it pleases you to meet my heart's desires. So I come to you, God, and I say, I need healing in my body. Come down and touch me, God the Father. Abba Father, heal me. God, you know that I, this is a need in my life. I need this financial breakthrough in my life. And it pleases you to do good things for your children. Bless me. And we pray to God like that. Why? Because we're his heirs. We're joint heirs with Christ, meaning that we're seated with Christ. When Christ is in the heavenly places, we're seated right there as well. So I can petition God, and I can come boldly, and I can declare my, pray- my prayers to him, and I know that he'll answer me because he speaks to me because I'm his heir. Amen? Amen. Also, a part of the, father, the power of a father is, is affirmation. And this is big. Affirmation is, with whom I am well pleased. He said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. What is that? He was affirming Jesus. You know, even Jesus needed affirmation. The Son of God himself, he needed the affirmation of the Father because after this is when Jesus began his public ministry. But Jesus needed to be affirmed. Affirmation is a verbal consent. It's a, it's affirmation is, is something that only the Father can give. Only a Father can truly give affirmation. When I played sports, I can't remember a game, a single game of my life, from T-ball through college and, and the, uh, when I played uh, a summer in Dallas uh, professionally, I can't remember one game that my dad wasn't present. And every game in high school, he would bring me a blimpy sub. I don't know if y'all remember blimpies. But every high, he would, for high school, he would bring me a blimpy sub before every game. And in college, he would bring me a subway sub before every home game. And I would always remember that. And it was like it was never a second thought in my mind if my dad was going to be at the game. I knew he was going to be there. And after the game, whether it was a good game or bad game, I know he was going to be there and he was going to say, good job, champ. You did a great job. And what was he doing? He was affirming me. And so in my mind, I knew that I was the best player that I could be because I had the affirmation of my father. And when you have the affirmation of the father, there's a confidence that comes about you. There's a certain confidence that comes over you when you've been affirmed. But on the flip side to that, if you haven't been affirmed, you'll always be looking for validation. You'll always be looking for someone to to give you some attention, to, hey, see me, see me, recognize me. What is that? Because you need the affirmation of a father. My little girl Camden, I try to affirm her as much as I can, and she is one of the most confident people you will ever meet. She feels like she could do everything. She feels like she can sing better than Tori Kelly. She feels like she can dance better than anybody. She thinks she can do everything great because she's affirmed. And tomorrow we'll say, people always say that Camden is just like me, but she was like, honestly, Camden is way more confident than I was at her age because she has the affirmation of a father. And I try to affirm her in everything I do. But I tell her the truth, too, like, no, baby, you know what? You may want to not do that. That might not be your, your strongest suit. But she's so confident She thinks she could do everything. But the point is, is that when you have the affirmation of the Father, it brings a confidence that nobody can break. Nobody can break that. So when the God the Father speaks to you and he affirms you, guess what? There's no lie that the devil could tell that you could believe because, you know, I've been affirmed by my Father. Devil, get out of here with your lies. Oh, you're a failure. No, I'm not, devil. I'm affirmed by the Father. My Father loves me. Get out of here with your lies. 
So when you've been affirmed by the Father, I'm telling you, there's a confidence, there's a boldness that comes over you because you receive the affirmation of the Father. And I'm telling you, you need to, you need to seek God for his affirmation. If you never felt God's affirmation before, ask him to affirm you. I promise you, it will change your life. The affirmation of the Father will change your life. So things that will try to come against you that will bug you, like little insecurities and doubts and fears that will try to creep in your mind, when you've been affirmed by the Father, all those lies, they just wash away. They don't even give, you don't even give them a second thought. Why? Because you've been affirmed. The Father wants to affirm you. Receive his affirmation today. When should I, so as a father, you say, when should I give affirmation? These are the moments when people need affirmation the most. All of us do. All of us, nobody is excluded from this. We need affirmation the most in major moments. In major moments. What this games, recitals, graduations. This is when we need weddings, all those things. Major moments, we need affirmation. We also need affirmation in low moments. This is when you make bad grades. Sometimes you know you don't need to tell a man, why you act so dumb? making these bad grades. Sometimes that's when you need affirmation the most is when you make bad grades or you make dumb mistakes. Sometimes you don't need a chastisement. You just need affirmation. You just need some encouragement. In low moments, after discipline, like I mentioned, whenever you discipline a child or someone, you go back and you love on them and you affirm them and tell them, like, you're mine, I love you. And I only discipline you because I love you. And low moments, also moments of crisis. When we walk through moments of crisis, then that's when you feel like the world is just coming against you and you need someone to affirm you in moments of crisis. Also, in genuine moments, this is connected to genuine emotion. When you just say, man, tomorrow I love you. You bring so much joy to my heart. And what is that? That is a genuine connection. Sometimes you can get, you know, people that just tell you stuff that you're like, you don't really mean that. You're just saying that. But they, they can say something all the time. You're like, man, quit talking. It's, it's like, and I'm, I'm just I'm picking on guys for a moment. Guys say that to girls all the time that they're trying to get with sometimes. Girl, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. You do the same thing you did yesterday. But, but we'll say anything to try to bring some affirmation. But when it comes from a genuine place, you know it's real. You know when you know when somebody's being genuine to you, and you know when they just trying to when they just trying to sell you a dream. That's what we call it, selling dreams. Oh, uh, he just selling her a dream. But when somebody's selling you a dream, you're like, man, why you? Oh, you could do anything you want to do, child. And then they leave. You know they're gonna fail. They ain't gonna make it. They ain't gonna do it. They ain't gonna do it. They're not smart enough to do it. But when you give a genuine affirmation, it comes from. But so don't give affirmations that aren't genuine. Is what I'm saying. Make it come from your heart. When you to give someone a compliment, truly mean it. If you think her hair looks good, girl, your hair looks good. Really mean it. If you think her outfit looks nice, tell her it looks nice. But don't just come, don't let it come from an insincere place. Let it come from a genuine heart when you affirm. Because people know the difference when it's genuine and when you're just talking. Because you know if you could be in a group of people, somebody says something and you feel like you gotta say something too, because everybody else says something. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, that's ugly. But you just let it come from a genuine place. Affirmation. Affirmation is key. Why do we fail to give affirmation? So that's why we should give affirmation. Why do we fail to give affirmation? Sometimes we fear it's given too much. 
Well, I don't want to build them up too much because I don't want to make them prideful. That's not true. We fear. Check, check. Okay, there we go. We fear it's undeserved or we fear it is assumed. Sometimes we could just assume that someone is affirmed. What is this? It's like, oh, my kids know I love them. My wife knows. She knows I love her. And so we could just assume that it, but it's like, no, you need to tell them. You need to tell your children. You need to tell your wife, oh, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're the most beautiful lady in the world. Holly Berry cannot compare to you. I know she's a little bit older now, but whoever is younger now, I don't know. But whoever it is, it's like she don't compare to you. She don't hold a candle to you. And it's like, what is this? This is letting them know. Or you've never received it yourself. You don't give affirmation because you never received affirmation yourself. Well, I want to encourage you. If you never received affirmation yourself, be a curse breaker. Be a curse breaker in your generation, in your family. Where you say, you know what? It stops with me. It stops with me. I'm going to be the person. I'm going to be the mother. I'm going to be the father that's going to affirm my children. I'm going to be the mother and father that affirms my family. And that from this day forward, I'm going to break that curse of lack of affirmation. And they're going to be affirmed in me and my love for them. Amen. Amen. Also, what does the power of a father have? He has the power to leave an inheritance. Listen to him. That's what he says. Listen to him. The Bible says that a wise, wise man leaves an inheritance to his children. An inheritance is not necessarily talking about money. Although that is a good inheritance to leave, that is a great inheritance to leave money. But that's not the only inheritance you can leave. There's three things that you can leave in this inheritance. One is this, give them responsibility. God gave Jesus responsibility. In John chapter 5, verse 20, for the father loves the son and he shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. What is that? He's giving Jesus responsibility. He says, I'm going to show you even greater works that you would even do, and you're going to be astonished at his works. What is that? God gave Jesus responsibility. One of the greatest things that you could do of leaving an inheritance is leave an inheritance of responsibility. You know, people ask me all the time, did you go to school to be a pastor or become a pastor? And I say, no, I, I didn't go to school at all. What I did was I served locally, uh, faithfully in the local church. And over years and time, people began to give me, pastors and leaders began to give me responsibility. And as they gave me responsibility, I began to grow. And they left an inheritance for me. Even if they moved on to do something else, they still left a legacy of responsibility to me that I could grow into. They gave, they, they, that's what they did for me. Is serving faithfully, they gave me responsibility. Also, a way to leave an inheritance is give them relationships. John chapter 17, verse 9. My prayer is not, my prayer is not for the world, but for those who you have given me, because they belong to you. So what am I talking about by give an inheritance of relationships? This is always bring your, your family, your children around people that have positive relationships. Healthy relationships. Introduce them to men and women that encourage you. You know, you want to always leave relationships around for people that can encourage them and strengthen them and take them to the next level or teach them something new. 
introduce them to new relationships. One of the things I love about this church is we're all in relationship together and we're all growing together in, in relationships with each other because there may be relationships in this room that can help you get to the next level. You just have to explore them. But all we have to do is just expose ourselves to new relationships. Leave a, le- a legacy of relationships, an inheritance of relationships. I can look back in my life at all the people that I've been introduced to and of those relationships and how they've grown and morphed. But those people, what they did was they introduced me to other relationships, which was the inheritance that I received because of that. Third thing is give them authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and earth, and authority is what you can give as an inheritance as well. Before I was ever a leader in the church, this is crazy, before I was a leader in the church, before I led a small group, a pastor, Pastor Joe Stocksdale, he, put, he gave me authority, and he said, I want you to lead our college ministry. And I said, you talking to me? I said, you want me to do what? But he said, I trust you. I believe you. I believe that God is with you and you can do this. What is that? He gave me authority to lead. That was the first big assignment that I had in ministry. And I took that and I said, you know what? God, I'm going, I need your help in this because I don't know what to do. But what was that? He gave me, he gave me, not only did I receive responsibility, he gave me authority to lead. And when you begin to give delegation and give authority to lead, guess what? That does something to a person. When you give them a little bit of authority to lead and you train them and coach them in the way, that's what Jesus, God did with, uh, with Jesus. He trained him. He gave him responsibility. He gave him relationships, but also he gave him authority. And when you leave those, that is a great legacy to leave. Amen? So I hope this message today just encourages you. Most of all, man, fathering is very important identifying how God the Father relates to us and how we relate to our children and those around us. Amen? Amen. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. And as we close, we're talking about fathering a lot. I just want to pray for the fathers. So if you're watching online, if you're a father in the room, I just want everyone just to close their eyes. I just want to pray for the fathers. So if you're a father, just lift your hands. I want to, I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each and every father in the room today and watching online. I thank you right now, Lord God, that you would give them wisdom to raise godly children. I thank you right now, Lord God, that wisdom comes from above. And I thank you right now that you pour out your wisdom on them. And I will bind the the attacks of the enemy that would try to come in and say that that it's too late or you you messed up or I rebuke those negative thoughts right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that mercies are new each and every day. And I thank you right now that there's a grace to father. There's a grace to affirm. There's a grace to instruct. There's a grace to, to give correction and discipline, but there's a grace to give affirmation. And I thank you right now for the fathers in this room. I thank you that your spirit rests upon them. I thank you that you're with them, that you provide for them, that you give them every everything that they need. And I bless them right now in the name of Jesus, that the fathers of this church, that they're blessed. And I speak a blessing over them and their families in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With everybody's head bowed and uh, eyes still closed, I just want to give one final invitation. That's for an invitation to come into a relationship with God. You say, man, you talked about the affirmation of the Father. I never received that before from God the Father, or I never received it before from my natural father. But I just want to give you an invitation today to receive the love of God 
and let him come into your heart. The greatest decision that you will ever make in your life, even greater than who you will marry, will be the day that you decide to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. That is the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. The most important decision as well. So I just want to give you an opportunity that if you're not right with God or you don't know where you stand with God, but you want to make sure before you leave today that you're in right relationship with God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. This is not to embarrass you. This is not for anyone looking around. This is just between you and God. And if you want to come in right relationship with God today, if you're watching online or you're in the room, I just want you to do one thing. I just want you to very reverently just lift up your hand. No one is looking around. Just lift up your hand. No one's looking around. Just me. I just want to acknowledge you, and I want you to amen. Amen. I see your hand. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to ask everyone to do this. I want everyone just to place their hand over their heart. And I want you to repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy and grace that is in my life. Lord, as of today, I lay down my life and I surrender to you. Lord, I thank you right now that every bit of sin, every bit of insecurity, every bit of pride, everything that keeps me from you, is washed away today. I thank you right now that I'm washed by your blood, that I'm loved by you, and that I'm your child. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, and I receive your love, and I receive your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, y'all give a hand clap for those that prayed that prayer. And if you made a decision to follow Christ today, in the seat back in front of you, if you're in the room, there's a card that says, let's connect. Fill that out. Let us know that you made the decision. We love to connect with you during the week. Also, if you're online, drop a comment in the comment section. Let us know that you made that decision. We love to connect with you as well. But man, thank you for joining in with us this morning. We love you guys. Also, you can give if you're watching online. You can go on our website at newlifemobile.org. You can give that way, or you can download our app. And you can give on the app. Also, you can mail in uh, a check or money order to our address. You can find the address on the website or on our Facebook page as well. But well, we love you guys. We love to invite you out to Wednesday prayer. This Wednesday, 630, we'll be here for one hour. we love for you to join us in prayer. But until then, we love you guys. Oh, I'm sorry. Also, before we go, this next Sunday is water baptism. Come join us for water baptism. Let us know. You can go to info at new, newlifemobile.org. You can sign up to be water baptized. We love to, for you to participate in that next Sunday as well. But we love you guys. Y'all have a great Sunday. We'll see you this Wednesday at prayer. Amen. Hallelujah.